this the other morning, I noticed something I never noticed before, that the first three verses are regarding God's commands about himself, reverence for his name. And then the last set of passages of those commandments are about our respect and care for other people and to treat them kindly. And right in the center of that is this command to honor our father and our mother. So I love that we're here today celebrating God's gift of motherhood. Um, I'll be honest with you, for many years, uh, Mother's Day was very hard for me. Uh, especially coming to church. Uh, but this Mother's Day, I'm excited to get to be here and share with you the story uh, of what God has done in my heart and in my life. And in fact, the way that God revealed to me that he had healed my heart from, from that struggle came about in a very unexpected way. Uh, it happened at my church about maybe 10 or 11 years ago. Uh, the, the church leadership was asking everybody to sign up to help with the children's ministry. Um, the workers in the children's ministry were kind of getting burned out, <laughs> and they asked everyone if they would sign up to help and volunteer at the children's ministry for one service a weekend for five weeks. That's all they were asking us to commit to. Now, I had never signed up to volunteer in children's ministry. But at this point when that um, announcement came, God had been working in my heart and so he gave me the courage to sign up. And so I remember the first, I signed up for uh, the Saturday evening service and I remember the first evening I showed up and uh, the woman who is in charge, she finds my name on the clipboard and she says, oh, you're here for the first time. This is the first time you're serving in children's ministry. And I said, yes, yes, that's true. And she says, well, we need to know your t-shirt size. I said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm thinking, you know, if you dress me, you own me. You know, I'm like, no, 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 five weeks, that's it. That's all I signed up for. And she, and she says, oh, okay, well, we're gonna, you know, put your name, and we have this cool laminate machine, we're gonna make a nice name badge. And I says, you know, gosh, that sounds like a lot of work. I said, how about you just give me a post-it note? You know, I mean, that's good enough. I mean, clearly I was not ready to make a big commitment. And so, um, so she says, well, tonight, she says, we're gonna put you in the nursery. And I thought, well, you know, that can't, be, that can't be too hard. I mean, at least they can't get away from me. I've got the advantage, right? And so they put me in the nursery, and we had uh, three children that night. One was a little girl who was in her high chair playing with a toy, very content, and another little boy was fast asleep. But the third child, this little boy, was crying and crying and crying because, of course, he didn't want his mother to leave. And so I'm like, okay, he's my, my job tonight. And so I pick him up and I start, you know, carrying him. And I'm, you know, I don't have a lot of experience. You know, I don't have never raised children. And so, and, um, you know, I'm trying to, you know, comfort him and I'm talking to him. And I, you know, I checked his diaper. I tried the bottle. I tried a toy. I even started singing to him and I can't sing. Um, but nothing was working to the point where the woman in charge comes into the back room and she says, you know, the parents don't like it when they can hear the children screaming in the sanctuary. <laughs> I'm thinking, they don't like it. What, I mean, are you going to help me or what? <laughs> you know, and she kind of just rolls her eyes like, who signed you up? I'm thinking, this wasn't my idea, remember? <laughs> so she says, how about you take them for a walk? and I'll watch the other two. Now, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but again, not having raised children, when she said take them for a walk, the first thing that came in my mind was one of those leashes. <laughs> and I'm thinking, 
like he he can't walk yet. I'm like, does he like? I mean, like a pet. I mean, I, just my mind is going in the strangest place. And she really looked a little fearful at that point because she realized I had no idea what she meant. And she says, we have strollers. You put them in the stroller, and I'll. And I'm like, why didn't you just say that? So, it's a true story. And so we put him in the stroller, and she stays with the other two, and I start going down, and he's still crying, you know. And so I start thinking, well, maybe it's kind of like at the carnival, like you know, maybe if I go real fast, like a ride, you know, that would be fun, right? So I kind of zip down the hall, and you know, I'm going around the turns like this, and he got quiet. I don't know if it was out of fear, but <laughs> he finally cries himself to sleep. And so I bring him back into the, into the nursery, and at this point, he, I noticed, let me describe this uh, stroller to you. It's not kind of the ones you see today with, you know, kind of like a SUV with big fat tires and, you know, pads and cushions and pillows and GPS, whatever else they have on them. This was your little, I don't know, you know, like, a, like four little plastic wheels, two metal rods and a little mesh seat. And so he had fallen asleep with his head completely up against that bar. And it looked horribly uncomfortable. But I'm thinking, I looked at the clock, like there's just 10 more minutes left for service. We, we, can, we can just ride this out. And so service ends and uh, the parents start coming in. When this little boy hears his mother's voice, he lifts up his head, and you can see this red, you know, mark on his, and his mother looks horrified, and her look sets him off. He starts screaming again. I'm thinking, Lord, this is just the first week. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so... You know, all of that to tell you that God, um, well, first of all, it did affirm uh, my suspicion that children's ministry was probably not for me, um, but he, God did use it to affirm that he had healed my heart because I was no longer afraid. You see, when I was 15 years old, I had an abortion, and I never had any other children. And so coming to church on Mother's Day was hard for me. And certainly serving in children's ministry, I never volunteered for children's ministry, but God had been working on my heart. The precious truth is, is that I am not alone. God is with me and God is working for me, but I also know that I'm not the only person that might struggle on Mother's Day. There are many people, maybe some here, or people that you care about, where Mother's Day sometimes can be hard. I, I have two friends specifically who recently lost their mothers, and, and their mothers are with the Lord, and so, but, so Mother's Day is hard for them. Some may have lost a child, maybe to miscarriage, or abortion, or another tragedy. Some may be struggling with a relationship between parent and child, whether it's your parent or child or the other way. There are many reasons why sometimes Mother's Day can be hard for some of us, but God knows our hurts. And he knows that when we surrender our hurts into his hand, he is faithful. He is faithful to meet us there. He never leaves us alone. You know, I love Psalm 34, 18 that says, God is near to the brokenhearted. 
He is near to the brokenhearted. And I praise God that all those years ago, God had revealed to me that he had brought healing to my heart. And in fact, God's grace in my life actually began long before that. It actually began before I was even born. Both of my parents immigrated to the United States from other countries. My father came from Morocco and my mother came from Latvia, two completely different hemispheres. And they met in New York City and they began dating. Neither one of them were raised uh, in a Christian home. And one day my mother comes to my father and announces, I'm pregnant. And she was being pressured by a close family member to get an abortion. And my father considered all of this and as the weight of my world, the weight of my very life hung in the balance, he said, no, let's, let's get married and let's try to make this work. So they got married and in July 1967, I was born in Manhattan Hospital. And my parents, you know, tried to make it work, but unfortunately when I was um, 12 years old, they did end up divorced, and my mom became a single mom. By the time I was 14, I began looking for love in all the wrong faces. My mother, wanting to protect me, and again, not being raised in a Christian home, thinking she was making a wise choice, thinking she was protecting me, brought me to Planned Parenthood and provided protection. And six months later, we were back. I was 15 years old. And they announced, they took some blood and did some tests, and the woman came into the little room where my mother and I waited, and she said, well, you're pregnant. She says, but don't worry about it. We can take care of it. I mean, you're 15 years old, you got your whole life ahead of you. And when you're ready to have children, we'll be there for you. That's what they promised. I never felt I had a choice. It seemed abortion was the only option. And no one ever talked to me, you know, no one ever mentioned, you know, baby or child or ultrasound or life. These words never came up. Death, grief, pain, loss, regret. None of those words were ever spoken. So many regrets. Regrets that I didn't ask for more time to think about it. Regret that no one ever talked to me about adoption. Regret that I would realize later they lied to me. I was 11 weeks pregnant. They told me it was a tiny little clump of cells. That's all it was. So many regrets. So many regrets. Later I would realize that this was the only child that would ever be conceived in me. And so in May 1983, May 1983, on a Saturday, I had an abortion. I don't remember if it was before or after Mother's Day weekend, but it was certainly close. And for 25 years, I kept that decision, that that experience a, a secret in my heart. I never told anyone, anyone. 
And I actually thought the abortion was gonna bring relief. I thought it was going to make the problems go away, but instead it led me into this self-destructive lifestyle. I began drinking and having suicidal thoughts and hanging out with the wrong crowd. Began doing drugs. One night I was slipped the date rape drug because I had been in, in nightclubs and just where I was not supposed to be and just living this self-destructive lifestyle and eventually met and married an equally self-destructive uh, man and for 14 years lived a roller, roller coaster cycle of, of abuse and codependency that eventually ended in divorce. But, but before, before that divorce, one year before that, someone invited me to church and I heard the gospel for the first time. And God opened my eyes to his forgiveness, his power to forgive, even to forgive an abortion. And in his grace, he opened my eyes and showed me his love. And, and barely a year later, the divorce papers came. And I found myself alone, but I was not alone. I was not alone. God promises to never leave us or forsake us. Deuteronomy 31, Hebrews 13, he promises it over and over. He is with us. He is with us. He will never leave us. I began to grow in my faith. God began to teach me of his love. He even, he even opened up the doors for me to share my testimony at churches and to even lead other people to Christ. But it wasn't until 10 years later that God specifically began to tug on my heart about that abortion. I knew I was forgiven, but he was bringing up this, this wound that was still having a, a place in my heart and holding me captive in some way. God knew that, I didn't. And God brought along a dear friend who's actually with me here today, which is such a sweet gift. She's in the back my friend Liz. Liz came into my life and she began inviting me to go to the annual Walks for Life at our local pregnancy center. And I, and I thought that was a wonderful thing. I mean, I, I'm walking with the Lord now. I knew full well abortion was wrong. And so I thought the Walks for Life was a wonderful thing. So I gladly went. And each year she would gently lead me to one of their tables where they had a post-abortion healing ministry that they, that they were... Um, promoting. And each year she would encourage me to consider going to this, because what I've shared my testimony in church, so she knew my past. And each year I resisted. I thought, but I'm already forgiven. But see, what she knew and what God knew is that sometimes there's a difference between forgiveness and healing. Forgiveness is instantaneous. That moment we receive Christ, we are forgiven all our sins. We stand before him washed in the blood of Christ. But there are, in our flesh, as long as we live in this life, there are still wounds that sometimes need special attention. And she knew that. And after three years of her faithfully praying and inviting me, God's voice finally broke through. And I signed up to go to this healing program. It was like a, a weekend retreat. And I remember when it was about a month away before this retreat, there was another friend in church who had once shared with me that she had the same past as I did after I had given my testimony one time. 
And she had shared with me that she had gone to this program many years before. And so when I signed up to go, I went and tracked this friend down. The retreat was still about a month away. And I tracked this friend down after church and I says, you know, I signed up to go to that uh, retreat at the pregnancy center. Is there anything you can tell me ahead of time that might, you know, make it a little bit easier? And she got real quiet and she said, well, you're gonna be asked to give your child a name. I had never heard of anything like that before. And it, and it took some time for me to digest that, that thought. I mean, this, this invites recognizing the identity of this person. And so I went home and I, and I began, you know, just, just praying and thinking through this. And, and I, had, I decided that if I'm going to give this child a name, that I made up my mind in that moment, I want the name to have significance. I want the name to have meaning because it's all I have to offer. And so I went on the internet and went on a baby name website. I didn't know where else to begin. You go on the internet, that's where you find everything, right? So I go on the internet, I'm in my office, and I find a baby name website. And at this point, God had been uh, uh, stirring in my heart that this child was a girl. So I sensed that from the Lord. And so I'm looking up like a list of girls' names, and I didn't know where else to begin, so I just began in the beginning of the alphabet, the letter A. And I start reading through the names, and I was actually more interested, like on the one side was the, the, name, the name, and then on the other side was the meaning. And I was very much interested in the meaning. I, I wanted it to have meaning. And so I'm reading through, and suddenly this name just jumps off the screen. And the name was Anamika, and its meaning is nameless. And when I saw that, my heart just broke, and I thought, who would name their child nameless? And I realized that I did. And God broke my heart that day. And I cried out to him again in a fresh, in a, in a, he gave me a deeper understanding and I cried out, I am so sorry. I am so sorry for what I done. But then I heard God's gentle, sweet voice. There was no condemnation. There was no judgment. There was no questions. Just his tender voice saying, now it's time to give her a new name. And I knew that God was with me. And so the time for the retreat arrived. And it was still a struggle. It's never easy. And I remember in the beginning, we, we met at a, a, a local hotel, actually here in Campbell, not that far. Um, and uh, we were in a conference room, a, a nice conference room, and there was about 10 women and then the facilitators. And it was at the very beginning, and, and one of the things that we were asked to do was to go around kind of the, the, you know, the tables and share a little bit about, about ourselves and also how long it had been that each of us had had an abortion or in some case several abortions. And I was toward the end of the loop, and so as I'm listening to this women, and they were saying like, oh, it had been three years ago or it was five years ago or it was two years ago. And when it came to my turn, I was tempted to lie, even though I was a Christian. I was tempted to lie, I didn't. But it was hard to admit that it had been 25 years that I have not acknowledged this child. And, and, and it was in that moment that God showed me something else. He showed me that time 
does not heal our wounds. God does. God does. And so he, he began, you know, revealing that to me. And as the retreat went forward and, and the, you know, the, the first day went by, we're into the second afternoon, I started to notice that the other women were experiencing breakthroughs. You could see it in their, in their faces. You can hear it in their voices and what they shared, that God was stirring their hearts and, and releasing them of that shame and that guilt and that fear. But it wasn't happening for me. And I began to wonder, was, I, was my heart too hard? Did I wait too long? And at one point we were asked to go and spend some time alone with the Lord individually. And in that time alone with the Lord, we were, we were given an assignment to think of one thing you would ask God if you could. If you could have one wish, what would it be? And so I went outside, it was, a, it was a, a, again, it was May, again, coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, but it was May, and I sat outside under this beautiful tree in the, kind of the courtyard of the hotel. And, and, my, and my heart was, was set, I want to honor this, this assignment to, to see what this wish would be, what, what would God have me wish for, but before I could formulate anything of any sense in my mind, a battle began. A battle began of all of these thoughts and questions from decades before that I had not thought about, all came rushing to my mind at the same time. All of these accusations, such as, you know, when I was in my 20s or in college, I, I remember thinking, well, I'll never be a mom. I'm not the mom type, you know, and that, that's not for me, and I'll never be a good mother anyway. Or I would remember, you know, when my friends would have children and, and baby showers and so forth, how I would always have to put on the mask. You know, what woman is not supposed to look happy and delighted around little babies? And I'd put on that fake smile because inside I wanted to be anywhere else because of the shame that it always brought. And if that was not bad enough, then another battle began in my mind. And all of these memories of, of, of my own childhood came to the surface, good memories, sweet memories of things that my mom had done for me. But for years, I had always suppressed those memories because after that abortion, they always came with the same accusation, that whisper, well, you'll never be a good mother. You murdered your child. And so my own memories of childhood, sweet memories, I had to push them down and shove them aside because they came along with, that, with those accusations. And for years, I never understood why I, I had this, this wall between me and my mother, even though it wasn't her. I had a wall that was built and our relationship suffered and I never understood the connection. But as I sat under that tree in that courtyard, all of this came to the surface all at the same time and it began to suddenly make sense. And that's when I knew what I wanted for my one wish. I wanted a new heart. It wasn't a salvation question. I, God gave me confidence that, that it wasn't a salvation issue, but there was a part of my heart that had remained in the darkness and hidden and hardened away from the Lord, and he wanted to shine his light on it, and I wanted him to shine his light on it, and I wanted to surrender that to him, so I knew what I wanted for my one wish. 
So the time came to go back into the, to the little conference room and they had kind of dimmed the lights. And then the facilitators asked each of us to basically, you know, to go to the center of the room, but silently, privately, and to surrender our burdens to God and ask for our one wish. And so when my turn came, I, I went to the middle and I knelt down and I closed my eyes and, and silently began praying for my one wish. And that's when God gave me a vision. I don't know how else to describe it, but I saw myself standing in heaven and I saw God in the distance. I, I couldn't see him clearly, but I knew, I knew it was him. And he held in his hand this beautiful, colorful, pulsing, like a spiritual heart. I knew, I knew in my heart what it was, and it, but it's hard to describe, but I knew it was an answer to my prayer. And he began to walk towards me. And I began to walk towards him. But then suddenly, he stopped. And my heart just jumped in my throat. And I hung my head in shame, thinking I'm not worthy. He changed his mind. And I, and I, I was just, just overcome with this grief and this shame. And, I, and I, I dared to open my eyes and look back up. And when I did, he was not alone. There was a young girl standing next to him smiling with her hands held up high as God turned and put the gift in her hands. And she turns towards me and all I can think is no. Oh God, no, not like this. Is that her? Does she know what I did? Could she ever forgive me? And I just, I just wanted to be anywhere but there. And the child just smiling keeps walking towards me and I, I shut my eyes, I can't bear to look at her. And, and at some point I sense that she's standing right in front of me. And so for one fleeting moment I open my eyes and I see the most beautiful face, smiling, no condemnation no judgment, no questions, just holding up the gift from God. And I, I shut my eyes, I, I just couldn't take any, take any more in, and, and, and when I opened my eyes, I was back on that conference room floor, you know, it didn't go anywhere, obviously, but my, I was back, but one thing I knew is that I had just met my little girl. I'll be honest with you. It's not how I would have done it. <laughs> but God's ways are higher than our ways, amen. God is so gracious. Um, when, when God gave me that courage to, 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 to face and then release the memory of my daughter, I'm the one that found freedom I'm the one that found freedom. And today I stand here before you no longer in shame. I'll always regret my choice. It was the wrong choice. 
but I don't stand here in shame because my God paid too high a price to break those chains from me and from you. I am free because of what he has done. Jesus has paid for all of our sin, even a sin as great as this one. And I can stand here and tell you that I look forward to seeing my daughter again in heaven. I look forward to that joy. And, and the other thing that God has, has done through all this is I no longer have that fear to be around children and so forth. I'm still a little awkward, but, uh, uh, you know, but, but the most precious gift that God has given me through all of that is that my daughter is no longer nameless. You see, I've named her Amanda because Amanda means worthy of love. You know, the Bible teaches us in Genesis 1.27 that every child is created in the image of God. And that means that every child is worthy of love. But you and I live in a world where the enemy is operating. You and I live in a world that's been blinded by the enemy to believe that abortion is a good thing, to believe that abortion providers are heroes. That word hero, I actually did research, it comes up on Planned Parenthood's website, on the, abortion, uh, uh, the, the National Abortion Federation website. They are described as heroes. We live in a world where those who seek to destroy innocent lives are described as heroes. But several weeks ago, I had the opportunity to meet some real heroes right here in this church. I, was, I got to meet a special group of women who, who struck me by, as I heard their stories and got to know them a little bit, by their resilience, their courage, their strength, and their commitment. You see, they all have one thing in common. They're all single moms. Women who make unimaginable sacrifices, courageous women who work so hard. You know, in fact, when, when Rita and Kai contacted me about um, uh, the possibility of, of speaking to this group of single moms, I kind of thought, oh, gosh, did they make a mistake? You know, because I'm not a single mom. And, uh, and, and then they explained that, that, that someone had heard me speaking on, um, teaching on Hagar, a, a story that I, I wrote a Bible study on, and I love teaching on Hagar. And, and Rita says, and she's a single mom, so we want you to just come teach on Hagar. And I thought, oh, I can do that. That'll be fun. I, got, I can do that. And so I love that uh, God opened up that door. You know, the story of Hagar is filled with such power of, of, uh, of us learning who God is through her story and the protection that he gave to her and her son and the beauty that God displays through that and his love and care for single moms. You know, the reality is that all moms are heroes. I mean, as Pastor Harrison was saying earlier, I mean, all moms are heroes and all mom figures are heroes, you know, because so many sacrifices and so many uh, um, uh, 
work is done that sometimes goes unnoticed or unappreciated, but not one thing goes unnoticed by God. Not one thing goes unnoticed by God. And whether married or single, every mom has value and every mom has purpose. And everyone has a unique story. And the reality is, for some, for some, they faced a difficult decision from the very beginning. Because sometimes it takes courage to choose life. Especially when the world around you, maybe even people closest to you, are, are encouraging a different choice, encouraging a way out that sounds easier. And they faced a difficult choice right from the beginning. You know, God never promises that his way is easy for any of us. But his way can always be trusted because he is trustworthy. You know, all of us who choose to follow God, men, women, single, married, parents or no parents, all of us who choose to follow God are going to ch face challenges in this life, but we never face them alone, ever, because God is with us. That's his promise to us. He never leaves us and he never forsakes us for those who are in Christ. You know, I mentioned earlier that I teach on the story of Hagar. And one of the things I love about her story, I just want to share it with you, just a couple verses. Um, you know, most of us are, uh, might remember um, Genesis 16, where she names God, the God who sees me. It's such a precious part of that story. But one of the other favorite parts that I uh, love about her story is actually in Genesis 21. In Genesis 21, Hagar has been, uh, she's at the end of a rope. She has experienced all the heartbreaks uh, throughout the whole story. And at this point, she has now been cast out into the wilderness, technically by God. It was God's idea. God told Abraham to go forward with that. So she's cast out into the wilderness. All hope is gone. Her son is dying. And, 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 and everything just seems completely hopeless. And it's in that point, in Genesis 21, in verse 17, where God speaks to Hagar. And, and I love how he says it. He says, what troubles you, Hagar? I mean, think about that for a moment. Her son's dying. She's got, she's got nothing. She's thrown out of the community. What troubles you? <laughs> it's God, what God, God is saying to her is, I've never left you. I am here for you. There's no reason to fear what troubles you. And he says, don't be afraid. God has heard the voice of the boy. In other words, he's concerned about her child as he is as much as concerned about her. Sorry. And then in verse 18, this is the best part. It says, rise up. Rise up. It's not over. The story's not over. Whatever road of despair we walk on, God will meet us there if we will listen for his voice. And he says to her, rise up, lift up the boy and hold him with your hand and I will make him into a great nation. It's as if God is saying to Hagar, you hold on to him and I'll hold on to you. And that's his promise, not just to single moms, not just to parents, but to every single one of us. Because as 
children of, of, of God, as those who, who are followers of Christ, every single one of us is called to pour out our lives into others. It might be our own children, it might be other family members, it might be our church family, but all of us are called to make sacrifices and pour out for others, but God does, is there with us. He is there with us. As we hold on to that mission, to the people that he puts into our lives, he is holding on to us and he will carry us through because he is a faithful God. Whatever God calls us to, we are not alone. And it doesn't make a difference what difficult roads we've walked or what mistakes we've made. When I look at my own life, I have a, just a list of heartbreaks. But God, in his grace, in time, has healed me of each one, day by day, layer by layer. And today, I can stand before you today and declare that I have a good relationship with my mom. And that's God's doing. I stand here today and I say that I can enjoy being around children, genuinely, genu genuinely enjoy them, even if I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I can stand here in church on Mother's Day and declare to you and, and acknowledge to you the memory of my child. God did that. And I look forward to seeing her one day in heaven. And when I do, I am gonna wrap her in my arms and I am gonna whisper her name in her ear, Amanda, worthy of love. And I can do that because of what Christ did for me. I have that courage because of what Christ did for me. He paid that price to make me a new creation. And he did that for each one of us. I have that courage only because of what Christ has done for me. And at the cross, when we look at the cross and we see what he's done, he reminds us that every soul is worthy of love. He demonstrates his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord of heaven. We give you glory and honor and praise for who you are, for all that you have done for us, Lord. And we thank you, Father,